Okay, thank you so much. Hello, everyone. I want to share something very deep and powerful with all of you tonight, something which I hope and think which will transform the way that you engage and understand and relate to relationships. But before we do that, I want to start with a story. The story is like this. There was a famous Buddhist monk, and this famous Buddhist monk was a legend. He would sit and meditate in his cave, and he wouldn't come out for months. And every couple months he would come out. And when he came out, thousands of people would travel to visit this monk, to just see him, to you know, just bask in his aura, to ask him questions, to shake his hand, to ask for advice. And it was coming up in two days. Everyone knew that the monk was going to come out. So everyone starts to travel. Everyone comes, waits outside the cave. The guy comes out. And thousands of people, thousands of people are flocking around. And everyone's trying to see him, to get a look, to get, you know, pushed to the front to ask some questions, get some advice. And all of a sudden, there's this commotion in the back. And everyone starts to be pushed around. And there's this, you know, you start hearing, what are you doing? What are you doing? And, like, there's, like, a splitting of the sea. And this old 65-year-old woman is pushing through the crowd, trying to get to the front. And everyone's like, what is going on? Who is this woman? What is she trying to, what does she want to ask? What advice does she need? Can't she wait her turn? Where's your manners? Finally, she pushes her way to the front of the crowd, and she gets to the monk. The monk, all of a sudden, like, his eyes go wide. And everyone's waiting, like, what's she going to ask? What's going on? And the woman finally pushes to the front and says, Maishi, it's time to come home! Get a job! <laughs> and it's, it's a cute story. It's a famous story. But... The depth of it is, is something which I like to talk about, which is that people often think that to really get the depth of life, to really understand who we are, the nature of our soul, the nature of reality, to search for something deeper, to search for something more, to want more out of life, you have to go far and you have to go away from Judaism. And what often happens is that people think that meaning and depth and profundity lies in Eastern religions or in philosophy and psychology and things outside of our tradition, of our mystery. And it, it's, it's really, it, it's startling. The, if you look at the, the statistics, in America, Zen Buddhism, 50% of Zen Buddhists are Jewish. They're Jewish. They're people who are searching for meaning. And why this is requires a whole nother lecture. But this, the, the very simple and profound principle is this. We are all searching. And we're all yearning. We all want something more. We all want connection. We all want depth. But if you really want to find that depth, you have to go deeper into Torah. You have to go deeper into Judaism. You don't have to leave and find something outside of it to make your Judaism meaningful, to make your life meaningful, you have to go even deeper into the depth of the Torah. And so what I'd like to do, what I'd like to do today, is to develop some really deep, fundamental principles when it comes to building ideal relationships, when it comes to building your ultimate relationship, as the title was said. But I want to just ask by a raise of hands, 
Who would like, ideally, to build an amazing relationship? Who would like to build an amazing relationship? Right? We all want to build great relationships. And yes, like the most amazing relationship is marriage, but really we all want connection. We all want to feel understood, to feel heard, to feel like people care about us, understand us. That, I mean, we want to understand ourselves, but we want to also feel that we belong. We want to feel that we have meaning in our lives. And when it comes to dating, it's when it comes to marriage. It's the first time in your life that you have to decide, this is the person that I want to build the rest of my life with. And it could be a little overwhelming, and it could be a little scary. And you start to ask yourself, what am I trying to do? And this is a question which we don't often ask ourselves enough. What is the purpose of marriage? Why get married? In America, in Western culture, marriage is, is dwindling. People are not getting married. And the question is, why get married? What is the purpose? What, is, what are we trying to create? And more importantly, we need to start, I remember when I started dating before I got married, I started to realize that there were questions I need to ask myself. Am I ready to get married? What does it mean to be ready to get married? And if I'm not, how can I get married? How can I get ready at least to get married? What are the fundamental questions that I should be asking myself? Who am I? Where am I going in life? What direction am I going? And is marriage just some you know, decision you make along the way? Are you waiting for it to happen? How do you know? And you know, does it matter if we're going in the right direction or can we figure that out? Uh, does it matter our worldview, our, you know, like all of these questions, people sometimes just don't ask until they're already married or at least till they're already dating and they start to realize that they never started out asking the right questions. So what I want to do today is I want to build some of the most important things, some of the most important principles, concepts, tools, strategies, questions that we should be asking ourselves. But before we do that, I want to I share a little bit about my story and why I am up here, why I'm giving you this speech, why I'm so interested and fascinated in these topics. I was, I remember, you, uh, people don't often know this about me, but I was actually going to go pro and go to the NFL. I was a big football player. And I thought I was going to make it to the NFL. I thought I was going to make it to the pros. Everyone else thought I was going to make it to the pros. My teachers thought I was going to make it to the pros. My parents did. And in kindergarten, I busted my knee. <laughs> and my, I had to change my career path um, completely. <laughs> Does anyone remember the first day of kindergarten? Raise your hands. Anyone remember the first day of kindergarten? Yeah. I, you were, I remember you. You were there? No. <laughs> Um, but but I, I raise your hand, so just getting to my parents, raise your hand if you have a really emotional mother, a really emotional mother, right? right? Put all of those emotional mothers together, you get my mother, okay? Now raise your, raise your hand if you have a cool dad. Cool dads, any cool dads in the house? Okay, put all your dads together and you get my dad, all right? I have these incredible parents. But in addition to them being incredible, they were the most embarrassing parents ever. And when I say that I was playing football, I wasn't joking. I used to love football. As a kid, I used to go. I used to play these football games. And my parents would always come to the game. And at the game, we're playing football. We're, you know, manly men playing football. 
And my parents were on the side. They were screaming, go, you got this. They were the most embarrassing people ever. And my friends used to always look at me and say, do you know these, do you know these people? <laughs> and I used to always, without, without flinch, just say, nope. <laughs> Never seen him in my life. No idea. <laughs> but, but all jokes aside, I was a normal kid. I was a normal kid that went through a pretty normal childhood. But in, when I was around 20, my normal life fell apart. And everything that I thought was my life completely shattered. When I was about 20, I was going through my day. It was a regular day. And I started to feel this pain in my stomach. And then it went to my head. And before I even understood what was happening, I lost consciousness. And I, I, I've passed that before. Anyone, anyone ever pass out? Anyone ever pass out? You know what the feeling is. It's like weird and you kind of wake up. But this was different. Because this time I didn't just wake up. I remember struggling to regain consciousness. I remember having to fight to come back. And I remember it was the most excruciatingly painful experience and the scariest thing because I had no idea what was happening. And when I finally regained consciousness, I, was, I went to a doctor. They had no idea what was happening. And this happened again the next week. And then it happened again the next week. And it was happening on a weekly basis. And this occurred for months and months and months. And I had no idea what was happening. The doctor didn't know. And remember, each time it happened, I didn't know if I was going to wake up. And you get to the point where every single day you start to question whether this will be your last day. And it's a scary thing for someone that young to have no stability. Like, we don't ever think about death. It's not something we've ever experienced, not something which is real to most of us. But when you seriously begin to question whether you're going to be alive tomorrow, you begin to ask yourself questions that you're gifted with asking because most people wait till they have a midlife crisis to say, who am I? Why am I? What am I doing with my life? What am I contributing? What am I creating? Am I really creating myself? Am I choosing who I'm going to be? Am I choosing my friends? Am I choosing my thoughts? Am I choosing my direction? Am I trying to create myself or am I just walking through life? And for me, at this young age, I was gifted with the most horrifying experience of my life falling apart, but I was also gifted with the ability to ask these questions. And I began this journey. I began to learn. I gained, I, I sought out teachers and mentors. I started to read everything. I started to really choose who I was going to be and create myself and craft my skills and really create a, a mission. And, and thank God, after about six months of this happening, the doctors were able to realize this is something called vasovagal. I don't know if anyone has ever heard of vasovagal, but it's something which is not dangerous, something which is dangerous if you don't know how to know what's coming on. So if you know you're going to pass out, you have to get on the floor so you don't pass out and knock your head on the floor, which could kill you. And number two is there are ways to prevent it. So thank God I haven't had an episode in many, many years. And I thank Hashem, I thank God every single day for that. But the, the mission and the passion and the momentum that kept on going. And one of my real passions is to help people realize that you don't need to have a, a, a near-death experience to live an extraordinary life. You, you often find people that have a story, and only those people with a story are going out and doing extraordinary things. And it's important to realize that we all have a story. Like you all have things in your life which have created 
your circumstance have put you in the position where you have to now choose how am I going to respond but that choice is up to you and you don't need to wait for your life to fall apart to really get it together because we're all waiting and everyone knows this that we all want more we just came from Rosh Hashanah the new year and everyone knows that you get these exciting moments of inspiration where we think about who we want to be the things we know we could accomplish ideas that can come to fruition works of art that we can create, you know, companies, business ideas, so many things, you know, to learn more, to take our spirituality more seriously, to build a deeper connection with the people in our lives, ourselves, our creator. There's so much that we want to do. But we need to start changing what we want to what we actually do. And when I started to date, that whole mission got really transposed and fixated onto okay, what? How do we make this the best? What is a relationship really about? How do we create these ideal relationships? I mean, like you don't need to be a rocket scientist to know that in the world we live in, it's hard. It's hard to build genuine connection, to have a marriage that lasts more than a couple of years. And we don't want to have a marriage that lasts a couple of years. We don't want to just get married for the sake of getting married. We want to build something extraordinary. And we shouldn't settle for anything less than that. So the question that I would like to ask, and the, what I'd like to do for just the little time that we have today, is to build this. To ask ourselves, how do we build the ultimate relationship? And beyond how, what questions do we need to ask ourselves? And let's start with this. The most, I do a lot of coaching, I do a lot of life coaching, personal coaching, and relationship coaching. And one of the, the things I see the most is someone that comes in and the relationships are never working. And I, I just, I, I, I'd say 50% of the time it's, it's this very simple problem. It's that they simply don't know who they are. And they're trying to build a marriage. They're trying to build an eternal connection with someone else and they don't know who they are. And there's a famous, famous question. Anyone heard of Rabbi Akiva? Rabbi Akiva, the famous, famous Tana? So Rabbi Akiva is famous for what famous saying? I'm a Rabbi Akiva. Zet klal godo batorah, batorah, v'yahavta l'reicha kamocha. That you should love your friend like yourself. And it's a beautiful saying. That you should love your friend like yourself. People ask, how can you do this? But Rabbi Akiva has another famous principle. Rabbi Kiva says, the Gemara says in Baba Metziah, Daf 62, Amid Aleph, it says that if there are two people in a desert and you only have one flask of water and you own the flask of water, what should you do? You drink it. So Ben Petura, who came before Rabbi Kiva, he said, no, you should split it. And Rabbi Kiva came and said, you should split it. Sorry, you should drink it. You should drink it yourself. Chayecha, Codeman, your life comes first. So what's the question that everyone always asks? How can you say, how can you say your life comes first? What happened to Rabbi Akiva's other famous principle? Of Yehafta, Lorecha, Kamocha, that you should love your friend like yourself. If you loved him so much, if you loved him like you loved yourself, how can you drink the water and let him die? It doesn't make any sense. So who wants to suggest an answer? It's a hard question. Seems like it's just an internal contradiction. So I'll share with you a beautiful answer. 
The answer is like this. If you want to love your friend like yourself, if you want to care about other people, then you have to love yourself. You should love your neighbor, you should love your friend like you love yourself. I don't know how many people really love who they are. Because you cannot love someone else if you don't love yourself. You can't know someone else if you don't know yourself. You can't do anything unless it's an internal expression that comes outwards. You want to teach something. How can you teach if you don't know? You know, I, I often I hear people say like, I want to give a million dollars to tzedakah. I want to give so much money to charity. And I ask them, okay, that's amazing. So how much money do you have? Nothing. Just want to, it's, it's beautiful to have a desire to do something. But if there's nothing to, to substantiate it, then there's nothing there. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, how many of our wants are empty? We say that we want to do things, but are we actually building a type of internal life that makes that something that's a reality, something that's possible? And when it comes to building a relationship, it's the same thing. You want to love someone, you got to start by loving yourself. You want to know someone else, you got to start knowing who you are. You want to start building connection with someone, start connecting to yourself. And then expand outwards. And it's something so powerful because... What happens if you don't? And you'll often see this. You'll often see relationships which are unbalanced. Where you have one person who is so sure of who they are and the other person has no idea who they are. And what happens? The person that doesn't know who they are becomes a mirror of the other person. Imagine a relationship where only one person has an opinion. That's not a relationship. Imagine a relationship where only one person is talking. That's not a relationship. But conceptually, that's what happens. And that's why the most important thing you can ever do is to take a step back and say, the only way that I'm ready to start dating and the only way that I'm ready to start entering into the possibility of marriage is if I know where I'm going, is if I know who I am. If I ask myself, and this sometimes is very difficult, to go into a room by yourself and say, who am I? What are my goals? What am I trying to accomplish with my life? What are my talents? What makes me unique? What can I create? What can I contribute? What is my life going to be about? And we'll talk about it in a couple of minutes, but then a relationship, an ideal relationship, is where you have two people who find a shared mission in life. Where, yes, each of them are unique and have their own uniqueness that they want to contribute to the world, but there's a sense of we're going through life and on life on a mission together. And if you don't have that, that's why you have marriages that just are dead. Because there's nothing, there's nothing that's causing them to connect together because they're not going anywhere together. And that's why the most important starting point of building any real relationship is building yourself. It's working on yourself. It's going through rigorous self-development and saying, I want to work on my physical health, on my emotional health, on my intellectual growth, on my spiritual growth. I want to make sure that I'm heading in a great direction so that I'm not just waiting for a great relationship to come around, but I'm going to start building momentum, find someone else that's also building their momentum, and we're going to create something vibrant together. That's something magical. It's something extraordinary and something which you don't realize when you are really living your true self, your best self, 
your basher, the person that you're going to spend your life with, it's like a magnet. You kind of like find them on your journey. But people, like, they think they're ready to start dating, so they wait. They kind of sit around. That's not life. Life, you have to start creating that momentum yourself. But now we get to the second step, and this is, gets a little more complicated. What happens when you start building yourself? You're, you, you're working on yourself. You're working on all aspects of your life, and you're starting to see growth. And you're feeling good about who you are. And you're liking the direction you're heading in. And life becomes exciting. You're not like reaching for the snooze in the morning, but you're just, you, your body clock's waking you up. You're living for purpose. And there's something that your life is about. So then what's the biggest challenge? Now you're ready to start looking for that relationship. You're ready to start expanding outwards. You're ready to start building connection. What's the struggle? The struggle, the human struggle, is the desire and the, I wouldn't say inability, I would say the, the, the cosmic struggle to build genuine connection. This is something which all humans struggle with, to build genuine connection. You know, everyone has friends, and everyone has family, and everyone has you know, had relationships, and everyone knows what connection is in terms of what they've experienced. But there is nothing that can be put into words that can describe everyone's innermost desire to build real connection, where someone really sees who you are, where someone really knows what you're about, and they see you for who you really are. They see you for all your great and all your not so great, all your virtues and all the things that aren't necessarily so great about you. And you, were, you let them really know who you are. And there's a, an element of, it's, it's beyond intimacy, it's just being seen, being known, and then also knowing them and seeing them. And there's something that's, that's intangibly magnificent and also unquestionably scary about this proposition of creating this type of connection. Because what's the, what's the challenge? Let's get to the challenge. But before we get to the challenge, let's just talk about the power of words. Because if you want to know what a real date is, a real date is once you've built some familiarity, you've built some ease and comfort, is getting to really know who the other person is and letting the other person know who you are. And this is something which is often forgotten. We often like, think a date is going and doing something together. And that's great. But a real date is, is having a real conversation. And that's what life is about. It's continuously building deeper and deeper connections with people. And that happens beyond shared experiences, which are wonderful, but through communication and through words. And I, I'll just share with you a couple of my, my favorite stories uh, about the power of words before we get into some of the deeper ideas of words. Um, I used to go... <laughs> I used to go on the bus as a kid, and we had, we had the nicest bus teacher, the nicest uh, bus driver, sorry. And this bus driver, every single time a person got onto the bus, would go, <laughs> she was like the, the she, she wasn't so nice. That was the, you know, she was the nastiest person we ever met. As a matter of fact, I didn't do this, but people used to call her the, the bus lady of doom. That's what they used to call her. And she was this really just a not happy person, not nice person. As a matter of fact, the only time I think I ever heard her laugh was when she left the kid back 
at the bus stop. She, <laughs> uh, she was really, really not a nice person. And no one talked to her. No one, no, one liked it. no one looked at her. No one liked her. And then one time, I never forget this, one of my friends got on the bus and gave her a big smile and said, good morning, how are you doing? And she, her face lit up. Her face lit up like I've never seen. And it's, we don't appreciate the power of words. I'll tell you, one of my friends, he has a son. And he walked in one time and found his son was drawing on the wall. He's drawing on the wall, taking crayons and drawing on the wall. He got so upset. He got furious. He ran over to his kid and said, Maishi, how can you do this? You, 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 you're a terrible kid. I always tell you, you can't draw on the wall. You can't do this. And he gets so angry at the kid. And two days later, the, he walks back into the room and the kid is drawing on the wall again. Except this time, he's not even looking at what he's doing. He's just like, go on, guess you know, you're just like, you know, smirking and saying like, you know, look at me, I can do what I want to do. As most kids will do. And the father decides to, you know, change strategies and goes over to him and says, you're a big boy. You're a big boy. And big boys don't draw on the wall. I'm a big boy. Of course I don't draw on the wall. Puts down the crane. It's, it's just like... How we, we don't even realize how we express ourselves, how we communicate with each other, with ourselves, our facial expressions, our body language, the words we use. You know, are you doing okay? Are you doing great? Like, just simple things, shifting your experience of life. Um, I'll tell you, I was, once, I was once at a speaking convention, and they were doing these speaking exercises. And the exercise was, it was like this little, it was like kind of like a test that you get, you pull out a card, and the card's red, that's your topic, and you gotta like just give a little speech on that card right away. And you have to do it promptly, you have to do it right away, you can't practice, you just gotta speak off the cuff. And everyone's doing this, and everyone's doing a pretty good job, getting interesting topics. And I'll never forget this one woman, she got the following card. Her card was the greatest moment in your life. Everyone has great moments. You choose a moment quickly. You just start talking. You just see how it comes out. She stands up to speak. She goes like this. She looks at us. And then you can hear her like giant swallow. And she just looks back down. And then she looks back up. She's about to speak. And she looks back down. And remember, you're supposed to do it right away. There's not supposed to be a second of pause. You don't get a second of pause. You get deductions. If you're stopping, you're supposed to go right away. And she's just standing there. And she stood there for like what seemed like a couple hours. It was probably a couple minutes, like literal minutes. And it was, it was terribly awkward. Every single person felt so bad for her because we would never want to be in her place. And we're thinking, like, how is this going to end? Like, it's never happened before. No one knows what to do. There's no protocol for this. Do you just, you know, say the job? Do you kind of say, you know, just say something? No one knows what to do. And she almost begins to cry. And through tears and through sobs and through swallows, she says, The greatest moment of my life was when my mom finally said that she was proud of me. Everyone, everyone just started to like tear up and cry because that was powerful 
That was powerful. There was no awkwardness. We understood. And what was even more powerful is to realize how much your words can mean. I remember, remember a time recently where I made someone feel really good using words. Uh, <laughs> back when I got engaged, I went over to my, to my mom and I said, Mom, I have some good news. I'm getting engaged. I'm moving out. And she said, yes! I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. She was way, way more happy than that. <laughs> Um, no, but really, it is extraordinary to realize the power of words. But just like words can lift someone up, because we all have people in our lives who we are yearning for words of encouragement, words of, of acceptance, that they acknowledge what we are, who we are, why we are, and that they want us to succeed, that they care about us. And just like words can lift someone up and transform someone's life, like that woman at that speaking convention, it can destroy people. Destroy them. One of the saddest stories I've ever heard in my entire life. Till this day. I had this friend who was an exceptional individual. He was a great midos, great character, and he was brilliant, and he was like everyone loved him, and he got no love from his father. His father didn't, his father was a tremendously successful businessman, always busy, and never had time for him. And his entire childhood, he was neglected, and all he wanted was his father's love. That's all he ever cared about. That's all he ever wanted. And he would, he, like, he was the most successful kid you can ever dream of. And everyone was, I mean, no one was really jealous of him because he was that great of a guy. Like, there are people who are successful that you're jealous of, and there are people who are successful that you just love. Like, they're just not in your face about it, and it's extraordinary. And he was this amazing guy, never, ever, ever got any acknowledgement or acceptance or love from his father. And he used to get straight A's, and he used to like do it just so that his father would be proud of him. And when he was 17, he got straight A's. And he called up his dad, and his dad said, Sorry, I, I don't have time, I'll call you back later. And he called back a couple of days later, his dad said, Sorry, I don't have time, I'll call back later. And this amazing, amazing person who had such potential, who could have done amazing things with his life, started to drink and started to go on to drugs and started to overdose. And I remember going to the hospital and he had just overdosed. And the doctors were going like, clear, clear. And he didn't make it. But it became very clear that words can transform someone's life, can uplift them, and can destroy. And when it comes to relationships, before we talk about the deeper aspects, this was the most simple principle. And yes, it's dramatic, but if you understand the power you have on a daily basis with those most important to you, with those most dear to you, then you start to completely view the way you speak, how you speak, what you say in a completely different way. So now let's take it the next step. The next step is probably the most fundamental problem when it comes to relationships, which is the struggle to communicate. And this is something which, if you're a philosopher, if you think about it, it's almost fascinating. Because 
When we talk about words, talk about words, any married couple will tell you the biggest thing they struggle with is communication. Genuine communication. We're talking about simple things. Like a wife will come home and will say, how you doing, honey? And the husband will say, look up from the newspaper and say, I'm doing great. And the wife will say, how was your day? He'll say, my day was great. And he'll say, how was your day? And she'll say, my day was great. And he'll say, great. I'll look right down the newspaper. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, is this a classic problem where she wants him to say, no, but really, how was your day? And she's not saying that. She expects him. Yes. But we're just talking about basic, basic forms of miscommunication where we, we, we want people to, number one, guess what we mean, to see past the words. And it's beyond that. We just have to realize that the way that we talk is fascinating. I mean, you'll say, like, you'll eat a, an amazing meal, a delicious you know, meat sandwich, a pizza, and you'll say, I love that. And then you'll look at your spouse and say, I love you. How are you supposed to compare the word you used for a great meal to your spouse? We need to start realizing that words are just vehicles of meaning. And if you can get past the words, which is really difficult, you can start to communicate. But you have to first realize that words are just that. They're a medium. They're not the thing itself. And if you want to know the, the, the deep Jewish concept behind this, and this is you know deeply mystical, is that there's always two levels. One is the abstract, the thought, makshava, the thought. And the second is the dibur, the expression. But the dibur, the expression, is never the thought itself. So if you experience something extraordinary and you try to put it into words, have you ever felt that? Where you struggle to put it into words? Where you know what you're feeling and you're just like, no, no, no you don't understand. Like, uh, like it, was, it, was, it was, like when you say that was awesome. What you're really saying is, I just can't put this into words. So here it is, swallow it up, digest it, and whatever the awesome means to you, just try to experience that. That's what I was feeling. Yeah, you go to Grand Canyon, what are you supposed to talk about? Like, do you see that? No, it's just like overwhelming. Like there are things that are beyond words, and then if you realize that that's all words, all words are a limitation. You try to talk. You know, the, the ancient uh, saying is that only when you get to the point where you don't need words can you genuinely communicate. Where you know the person that you don't need to converse in limited, finite words, but you just look at them and you're able to understand what they mean, that takes a lifetime. And oftentimes we have conversations that are going nowhere that mean nothing. We're not saying who we are, what we feel, and we're not being understood. And when we try, we also feel like we're not being understood. And it's a struggle. So the question becomes, how do you do this successfully? And if you want the the deepest principle, what did Hashem create the world with? Words. Vayomer Hashem. Hashem spoke. Why? Because the world is an expression of spirituality. The physical world, Hashem created physicality out of something more infinite, more abstract. That is speech, the creative process. When you speak, you are, just think right now what's happening. I have ideas in my head. I'm taking a deep breath, and I am now breathing out through my mouth vibrations, and they're going through the air, and if you're listening, if you are, then they're going into your ears, and all of a sudden you're translating those vibrations into sounds, sounds into letters, letters into words, into sentences, into paragraphs, into meaning. And what was in my head is now inside of your head. That is the process. But what's the difficulty? 
And this is where we get into just break down a conversation you have with someone. There are different ways that people interact when they have conversations. One way is that they literally, you ever see this? You ever see someone who is talking with you, but they're not listening to a word you say? Like they're not listening to a word you say. It's something I call, it's called a trade. You know, people like to talk. People like to have their voice heard. And oftentimes, there's, you have to do a deal. In order for me to talk, I have to let you talk. So you have your turn. I'll you know, get back to you in a couple of minutes. It's like when you put the phone on the desk and you go do something else and come back and say, oh, oh, oh. Right? So you let them have their turn. And then you come and you talk. Right? Zero listening. No listening whatsoever. You're just waiting for your turn to talk. But then there's a second form where, and I, this is, I think most people know who they are when they do this and they, like, they laugh about it because we know who we are. We, like, I used to be like this all the time and I tried for like years to get this. It's you're listening, but you're listening just waiting to respond. You ever see that? It's where you're literally just like catching, wait till they say something that you can add something. And then, like, the second that you can chime in, that you can add something interesting to the conversation, you just butt right in. So you're not listening at all. You're just waiting for your opportunity to express yourself. It's called selfish listening, where you don't really care about anyone or anything else other than your turn to express. The only difference is that this time you're physically listening. Like, you are. You have to be intelligently listening because you have to wait for your opportunity to shine. And, you know, if you're in, like, especially if you're in, like, a social gathering, at a table, everyone's, like, you know, waiting to sound intelligent or funny or something, so you wait for your turn to say something great. But the third level is where people are really trying to communicate. They're trying to listen. They're trying to understand you. And this is what I'd say is where most people are, and this is the, the, the most challenging of the four that we're going to develop because you're, you're doing this for the right intent. You're trying to understand. But the problem is that when you translate the words that they're saying, instead of, we're going to get to number four, which is trying to understand what they're saying, you try to project yourself onto what they're saying. So you don't actually understand what they mean. You understand what you would have meant if you said those words. And this is what I, get, what I mean when I say that words are so limited, because we all use words differently. When someone uses a word for A, it could be that you use it for B. When someone starts to say that they experienced this, and don't you think it was that, you could experience it completely differently. But instead of trying to understand what they really mean, you're just like, oh, yeah, 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 I completely understand what you mean. Right? That's, you, ever, you ever hear people say that? Like they're in, instantly say like, I get you. I understand. I understand. And you're thinking like, I don't, I don't think you understand. Like I don't think you actually spent the time to try to understand what I meant. Like I didn't even finish talking and you're already saying, oh, I get I, I, exactly like this. And you're like, no, no, not like that. Like, what are you, you're not listening. You're just, you're trying to listen. But the fourth is where we talk about that's what relationships, that's what dating should be, that's what marriage should be about. It's where you... Just negate your ego, the sense that I know, I know, I know. And you just literally just receive. And you just create a space. And you say, start to express, I will try to understand. I'll make a space, a makam. Right? Takarish Baruch created the world by creating a makam within himself. 
We have to create a space within ourselves to hear, to understand. And that is the first step of building connection. It's the first step of building a relationship. It's to genuinely listen, to genuinely try to understand. But here is the biggest challenge. Probably the number one challenge when it comes to relationships, when it comes to life, is vulnerability. It's putting yourself out there. And dating is is unquestionably the most difficult example of this. But in general, we don't like to be vulnerable. We don't like to feel like we lose complete control. It's another conversation in terms of basic human desires and needs, but people like to feel safe. They like to feel in control. They like to feel like they have stability and that they know all of the variables and that there's nothing that could impede with their sense of self-worth, with their safety, with their security, with their well-being. Now, what happens when you're dating? What happens when you're in a relationship with someone? And you're getting to the point where it's getting a little serious and there are so many things about ourselves that we don't share with most people. Our hopes, our dreams, our insecurities, our fears, things that we failed at, things that we fail at right now, things that we always wanted to do but never had the courage to do, uh, just things that we don't necessarily want people to know about us. And we've been living in the dark for a long time, and we want to open ourselves up to let ourselves be seen. It's, it's, it's amazing to think about that's what a relationship could be. Openness, clarity, giving, giving of self, receiving of another person's self. But what happens? What happens is that we get scared because what happens, what happens if, let's say, we open up. Let's say I open up. I'm on a date and I start to say, listen, we've been dating for a little while. I want to tell you something something really important to me, something which I don't really share with people. I start to share it. And I see uh, a little bit of, of like a facial expression of like, huh, like really? Or I see like, right? It's just all it takes. Like no one would ever say like, really? You're crazy? You did? No one would say that. But it's just like that little bit of a facial twitch where we know it's not being accepted. Where we know that the person just is thinking inside like, oh my God. Oh my gosh, I cannot believe this person does that. Right? But what happens is, is that that never actually happens. We get scared of that happening. And because we get scared of that happening, we hide. We hide from our friends, we hide from our family, we hide from the people we're dating, and we hide from ourselves. And we convince ourselves that this is just not who we are, or that no one will ever accept me if. That's like a classic line. No one will ever love me if. And everyone has their own fill in the gap. Where they convince themselves that in order for me to build a relationship, I must keep this secure and safe. And there's two types of people who do that. One is the type of person who just like lets it all out the second they get married. Would not suggest this, by the way. Would not suggest that. It's what happens, because what happens, most people think marriage is a security blanket. That now that they married me, they'll, you know, accept me for anything. People get upset. 
because they, they say like why, why would you why would you like you know like it's it's in halacha it's called the mekach so I don't want to get into that but it's like you, you lied but even in a deeper way it's not healthy it's not a way to build connection and the real question becomes that what do you do and what I always suggest is that you need to build a safe space within the relationship and not the first date not the first date but building a safe space where you can open up to each other and yes it's scary but the safe space should be a place where you guys can feel that it's like this you have to be ready for it so you're ready for it and you're committing to saying that like we are going to open up to each other and otherwise, we don't build connection. We don't know who we're dating. We don't know who we're married to. And people live their whole lives secluded from each other because they're afraid of letting themselves be seen. And what happens then is that because they're so intent on hiding themselves from everyone else, they become so, they completely lose their sense of self and they stop being in touch with who they are. And they're not only hiding from other people, but they start to even hide from themselves and they don't even it's like why people just feel this like unease because they're just always always like trying to hide always afraid of what if people know who I am and I think that the the real like if you really did this right if you really made yourself vulnerable and the person and this is really like a real marriage is unconditional love where the person accepts you completely and wholeheartedly and for everything you are. And when you're at the right stage of relationship where you can say, is this going to be that type of relationship? You want to start to see, can I open myself up? Because otherwise, you're going to have a very unconnected marriage where you're always scared to share. Because what if they don't accept it? And a marriage of fear, of of fear of not being accepted is not a marriage. Like that's a life committed to being encaged to your own consciousness where you can't really be seen. And that's not a marriage which anyone should go into. And it's so important. But we've built a little bit of a framework. We built the importance of first building yourself. Once you build yourself, you expand and you build genuine connection through communication, through genuine listening. And the next step is through vulnerability. Now, I don't want to go too deep into the next two topics because we can give a whole, a whole lecture on this just for one minute. But the biggest problem, one of the biggest problems nowadays is that people are building relationships based on common interests, based on, let's say, common personalities. There's something going there. There's something that jives but they're not looking for a deeper soul connection. And what I'm talking about here is, is something which really, we remember we talked about the limitation of words. It's hard to put your finger on what this means, but you're looking for a person that you want to spend your life with, a person who you really brings out the best in you, someone who makes you want to live a better version of yourself. And they've done studies. They've done amazing studies. And they, the question they want to know is what is the type of marriage that is not only going to last, 
in terms of the divorce rate, but will be the most successful type of marriage. That will maintain its, it, it, the connection, the excitement. And they did tons and tons of studies. And they found that the best relationship, the best relationship is when both of you have a sense of, of uniqueness, a sense of mission and purpose, but you're, as a couple, you feel like you have a shared purpose. You feel like together you're trying to contribute something to the world. And this could be anything, but it needs to be a shared drive. And when I say soul connection, I mean like beyond just having fun together and enjoying each other's company, what are you trying to do together in life? And that's why I always say, you need to find someone who, number one, you know where you want to go in life, and they have a sense of where they want to go in life. And you find a way of going on a shared journey together in life. Because oftentimes people, and remember, life is complicated, people are always changing, and it's always going to be a sense of finding a win-win, finding a way to go along a journey with someone else, knowing that you're going to change. But you never want to get to a point where one of you is going there and another one's going there. It's not, then you're just like two people who are living together. You're not building something together. And if you want to build a real home, you want to build a real marriage, you want to build something which is not just something which will last, but something that will be like exciting and, and vibrant and full of energy and life, then you want to get a sense of what do I want this marriage to be about? What do I want our lives to be about? What can we contribute to our community, to our nation, to the world, to life? How can we make the world better together? And I would say that the last thing I want to do is just to connect this to Sukkot, very briefly. We're in the middle of Sukkot. And the last thing I would like to do is to say this. The, the struggle that people have and the struggle that a lot of people have is that dating becomes difficult. Dating is a process. And a lot of people, they, they lose faith in the process. And this you see this in so many ways. You see this when people have a, a bad breakup. You see this when people just haven't gotten a date in a while. You see this when people start to get a little older and people are, they just get tired. And, and really life is a struggle. Life is challenging. We're all facing obstacles. We all have you know, health questions or financial questions or the struggle, troubles with relationships or our family or spirituality. We're all struggling in some way. But specifically when it comes to dating, when it comes to relationships, the real struggle is having faith in the process, having faith that the process will work. I mean, very often you just don't think there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And, and Sukkot is really, you know, Chazal say that it's the, it's the Chag of Amuna, where we leave our homes. We go into the Sukkah. We go into Adiras Arai, which is a temporary dwelling place. And throughout the year, we feel so self-secure. We're in a sturdy home. We feel safe. But we leave that, we go into the sukkah and say that there will always be an element of emuna, of faith, in the process. And that everything at the end of the day will come from Hashem. That I'll put in my hishtalus, I'll put in my effort. But I need to recognize that there's, 
there's something more than my own life and that I'm part of something bigger and that I am part of some bigger story, some larger symphony. And that this process that I'm in, it might be difficult, but I'm going to have faith in the process. I'm going to enjoy the process. And that's really Sukkah is the Chag. It's the holiday of Amuna. And let's share with you a very, a very tragic story, a striking story. The story of a man who got captured behind enemy lines it's during the war. And they said to him, they said, we'll give you two options. Tomorrow, we can execute you by the firing squad. Or you can walk through that door. He said, what's through the door? And the, the general said, no one knows. All I can tell you is that it's some unknown horror. Something unknown. Next day, 6 a.m., they wake him up. They say, what do you want? Which will it be? He says, I choose the firing squad. They take him to the firing squad. They execute him. The secretary looks to the general and says, you've been doing this for years. You've been doing this for years. What's behind the door? What's behind that door? So the general smiles to her and says, freedom. But people are too scared to walk into the unknown. They're too scared to leave the security of a known fate and walk into something they don't know. And when it comes to relationships, that's what it's about. It's about leaving the stability, the safety, the comfort, and saying, like, I know what my life is now. I don't know what my life will be like. I don't want to go through this process. I don't want to struggle. I just want it to be. I just want to be at the end. I just want it to be okay. And that's not life. Life is a process, a journey. And the most important principle that anyone can ever know in this experience of life is that if you want to succeed, if you want to enjoy your life, you have to learn to enjoy the process. People want to escape the process. They want to get to the end. No, no, don't get to the end. Enjoy the journey. It's like a man was climbing a mountain. And as he's climbing this mountain, he, he's been climbing for about two weeks now. And he gets to the, about halfway through the mountain. He sees a helicopter. And the helicopter gets closer, sees him and says, excuse me, what are you doing? Are you okay? You lost. The guy says, no, I'm fine. I just, I'm climbing, climbing this mountain. He says, really? How long have you been climbing? So the guy said, I've been climbing for about two weeks. How long do you have left? Another two weeks. He says, why don't you just hop on the helicopter? I'll take you right to the top. So the guy says, no, you don't understand. I don't want to be on the top. I want to climb. I enjoy the climb. And very often you find people that are struggling and the real struggle they have is that they don't enjoy the process of their life. They don't enjoy the day in, day out. They don't enjoy their lifestyle, the work. They just want to get to another point in life. They'll be happy when. They'll be happy if. But you've got to change the mindset to enjoying the process. And the most important, going back to the first principle, and one with this, the most important thing is to work on yourself, to start building yourself, to get in that, right, in that right direction. Remember, everything starts with first finding your purpose, finding your direction, finding who you're going to be. And we'll, we'll switch off to the, to the Shachem, I'm just going to say for one second, that anyone who wants one-on-one coaching, I do a lot of coaching, I do relationship coaching, and if anyone's interested, 
I also created, I know a lot of people, they don't have time for one-on-one coaching, it's expensive. So I created a very affordable online video course called Self Mastery Academy. And it's really, the entire focus of the course is that first principle. It's that if you wanna build the ideal relationship, if you wanna build your ultimate self, if you wanna find who you are, your uniqueness, your passion, your purpose, how to cultivate it, how to create a lifestyle around it, how to, the implementable strategies and you know, that just really building the person you wanna be, then that is the only way you can then transition into doing that with someone else. And the ultimate marriage is doing that with someone else, but before you do that, you need to start working on yourself. So you can go to my website, shmuelreichman.com, and you can get the course on my website. I'm gonna give everyone here a special 10% off. You can use the code SELFMASTERY on the website. You can, if anyone forgets it, you can email me. Um, the email is on the website, shmuelreichman.com, and Self Mastery Academy. And anyone who has any questions, you can please come to the front, and we're going to transition now to Shachana, but it was an absolute pleasure to be here. I hope that everyone finds their bashert, finds their soulmate in the right time, and we should be zocha, that we should really take the inspiration of the Chag of Sukkot, the Chag of Amuna, to really enjoy the process of our life. Thank you.